the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. And the title of the message is Growing Spiritually, from 1 Peter chapter 2. On the day that we heard the gospel and believed, you and I were given new life in Jesus Christ. That new life is something that only God himself could bring about in us by his grace. We could no more make ourselves born again than we could have made ourselves born the first time. We could no more raise ourselves from spiritual death and make ourselves alive in Christ than a dead person could raise himself or herself to life from the grave. This new life is God's doing, and we will forever praise him for it. But now that this new life has been given to us and is ours, we have, to, we have an active part to play in its growth and development. The Apostle Peter wrote his first letter, which we're dealing with today, to some fellow Christians who were suffering persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. He wanted to encourage them not to lose heart. And so after reminding them of the greatness of their salvation in Christ, in the first half of chapter 1, he went on to encourage them to be steadfast in, their, in this great salvation they had received. The sermon today is really focused on the first three verses of First Peter chapter 2. These three verses have huge implications for our church, and for, in fact, for all churches, wherever, whatever church you go to, it is very important that we think about what Peter is saying in this particular moment in our history. If you have any interest in growing spiritually, then pay attention to what Peter says, because he's speaking to you and to me. And if you haven't been growing as you would like, pay even closer attention uh, to what Peter has to say. Growth is natural for the believer in Jesus Christ. 
It is not God's plan for us to remain in the same level of infancy we were in when we first believed in Christ, but that we grow and mature and become more like Jesus Christ. All of this assumes that we have entered into a relationship with God by faith in his Son. Now, look at the first few words of verse 1. First few words of verse 1. Peter says, therefore, rid yourselves. He was, he's going back to what he said before, and now he's saying, as a result of what I have said, rid yourselves. And these few words tell us that as a result of or having been given new life in Christ, we are to rid ourselves of certain aspects of the old life that still clings to us. This is an important point because the failure to do this is what has led many professing Christians to fail to grow spiritually as they should. So first, Peter says, we need to rid ourselves of the attitudes and practices that hinder spiritual growth. So first Peter 2 and verse 1 says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. When Peter says, rid yourselves, he uses a verb that was used for stripping of dirty clothes. If you're a Christian, you must strip these five things from your life. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Becoming a Christian means changing your wardrobe. These five attitudes went out of style when you were born again. And so let's take a look at uh, these five things that, that Peter tells us that we should strip off or get rid of. First, there's malice. Now, malice is a general term for evil in all its various forms. Malice is a desire to hurt someone with words or actions. It speaks of intense long-lasting bitterness with a desire to get even. Have you ever wished someone would get hit by a car or meet uh, some less fatal harm? It is a pretty human emotion or desire, isn't it? And that's just the problem. It is human. It is from our old sinful nature. And we are to get rid of that kind of attitude as believers in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, like Peter, also wants us to get rid of malice. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. So how many Christians live spiritually defeated lives because of the sin of malice. Rather than forget unkindness by re returning good for evil, they are possessed of a malicious desire to get revenge. 
And so long as there is a vengeful spirit, a Christian cannot grow spiritually. That is not acceptable to the God whom we serve. But then he mentions deceit. The Greek word for deceit means to deceive and mislead people. To deceive in order to achieve one's own end. Deception has to do primarily with words. When a person wants something, he or she tries to get it by flattery, by false promises, by false tales, by enticing words, or outright lying. It is a shame when, when people cannot count on a Christian's words and have to raise questions about their credibility and integrity. Yes. Jeremiah 9 and verse 8 says, For their tongues shoot lies like poisoned arrows. They speak friendly words to their neighbors while scheming in their heart to kill them. In Proverbs 26, 24, and 25 says, People may cover their hatred with pleasant words, but they are deceiving you. They pretend to be kind, but don't believe them. Their hearts are full of many evils. Peter says Christians must not deceive. It is sinful. It is a mark of immaturity. And then he mentions hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy comes from the Greek theater and referred to the practice of putting on a mask and playing a part on stage. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something he or she is not. Jesus is very strong in his condemnation of hypocrisy in his day. Matthew chapter 23 and 27, he says, How terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrite. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look fine on the outside, but are full of bones and decaying corpses on the inside. You see, hypocrisy and deceit go together. Together they pretend to be sweet and friendly, but are actually quite the opposite. The person who practices hypocrisy may pat you on the back, but you never know when the hand has a knife in it. A hypocrite will say one thing before your face and another behind your back. It was the great French General Napoleon who said, the people to fear are not those who disagree with you, but those who disagree with you and are too cowardly to let you know it. Hypocrisy does more to turn people away from Christ and from the church than almost any other sin that we can think of. Many people will not darken the door of a church because they know too many Christians whose lives are a pretense. Rid yourselves of, of hypocrisy, says Peter. It hinders spiritual growth. And then he mentions envy. Envy was one of the seven deadly sins. 
One writer called envy the last sin Christians will confess because it is so ugly. Envy is jealousy at the success of others or happiness at another's misfortune. It is the poison of the soul that turns you into a resentful, angry, grouchy, miserable, critical person. If the truth were really known, most of the troubles you find among Christians in the church could be traced to this one sin of envy. It's Proverbs 14 and verse 30 says, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. And Paul says in Galatians 5.26, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. You see, envy destroys happiness. It destroys peace of mind. It destroys family relationships. It destroys relationship with God. And it can even motivate murder. The person who is possessed by this evil cancer is no good to himself or herself, no good to his or her family, and no good to God. It was the ancient Greek poet Aeschylus who said, Few men have the strength to honor a friend's friend's success without envy. Believers, let us get rid of envy and learn to give thanks to God for any achievement or advancement our fellow Christians might receive. Say to yourself, the Apostle Paul, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. The last of the five that Paul mentions here is slander of every kind. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy can be hidden deep inside us, but they can't really be hidden for very long. They show themselves by what comes out of the mouth. And so Paul tells us that we are to lay aside or get rid of all evil speaking and slander. All the gossip, all the backbiting, all of the bad-mouthing of others, all of the angry name-calling and character assassinations, all the whisperings about others that are cleverly disguised as prayer requests, all of the efforts to elevate ourselves by lowering others, all of these are the old practices of the old sinful nature that still remain in us. And they must go if we are to grow to become more like Jesus Christ. We need to ask God to guard our lips and to prompt every word that falls from them so that our speech will encourage rather than injure or hurt. Believers in Christ should sow seeds of peace and blessings, not division and discord. A little girl said to her mother, I was a peacemaker today. The mother asked her if she had settled a quarrel for others. No, she replied, I knew something and I didn't tell it. All of us need to be like that little girl. In the year 1752, a group of men at Oxford University in England 
which included brothers John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield, signed a covenant which should hang in every Christian's home. The six articles of this solemn agreement said, one, that we will not listen or willingly inquire after ill concerning one another. Two, that if we do hear any ill of each other, we will not believe it. Three, that as soon as possible, we will communicate what we hear by speaking or writing to the person concerned. Four, that until we have done this, we will not write or speak a syllable of it to any other person. Five, that neither will we mention it after we have done this to any other person. And six, that we will not make any exception to any of these rules unless we think ourselves absolutely obliged in conference. It's uh, interesting that um, uh, John and Charles Wesley, who were involved in the in the 18th century revival, were a part of this group. And George Whitfield, who was a great evangelist, uh, who died in Newburyport, they came together as, as a group of people who took their faith seriously. Even though it was before John Wesley was converted uh, to, to Jesus Christ. And uh, his brother John, whose um, hymns we sing quite often, hymns of John Wesley, they took seriously the fact that we can injure one another by the words that we say and how we say them. The way we treat one another has a direct impact on our relationship with God. We cannot treat people unkindly, gossip about them, and harbor bitterness, have a sharp tongue and a critical spirit, and expect to grow spiritually. That is against what God expects of us, his born-again children. You can slander someone with, with just raised eyebrow. The unfinished sentence, twisting the truth to make another person look bad, and putting others down to make yourself look good. Slander is usually the fruit of envy. And because it is almost always done behind the back of another person, it is a seedbed of hypocrisy. Engaging in the sins of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander have no place in the Christian life. There's no room for them in the Christian church. This is perhaps why some people can go to church for most of their lives and never grow in their faith. They make excuses for their envy. They ignore their gossip. They make light their cutting comments. And they justify the, their meanness to others. And they don't grow because they can't grow. These relational sins Peter mentions affect our relationship with others as well as our relationship to God. 
The Apostle John says it very plainly in 1 John chapter 4, 20 and 21. John says, if we say we love God, but hate our brothers and sisters, we are liars. For people cannot love God whom they have not seen if they do not love their brothers and sisters whom they have seen. The command that Christ has given us is this. All who love God must love their brother and sister also. But then Peter goes on to say, secondly, we must crave this, the pure spiritual milk of God's word. Verses 2 and 3. Like newborn babies, we must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness or the Lord's goodness. For growth, we need food. And as Christians, the food we require is pure spiritual milk, which is the word of God, the scriptures. We are to crave the milk of God's word the way a baby craves the mother's milk. Babies have an infallible and unmistakable way of letting you know when they are hungry. The baby gets fussy and begins to cry. And there is nothing to be done but to feed the baby. Milk for a baby is not a fringe benefit. It is necessary for life. By using this image, Peter doesn't mean that his readers were all brand new or baby Christians. He means that we are all to be as hungry for God's word as A baby is for its mother's milk. And the reason is clear. He says, so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. God designed a mother's milk to be the best source of nutrition for a new baby. And God designed his word to be the source of nourishment for the believer. The word of God which brought spiritual life to us becomes a means of sustenance and growth for the Christian. Peter's point is that it is the living and abiding word of God that brought us new life. He's saying we have already experienced his power. It moved us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. It moved us out of the wrath of God into the grace of God. It gave us new life, a new heart, a new mind, a new perspective, a new power, a new joy, a new peace, and a totally new existence. And Peter's question then is this. If you already know the power of the word of God, why would you not crave what it can continue to do in your life. Crave is a powerful word and concept. Craving the word of God is more than just a desire for it. Craving says, I need the word of God and I must have it to nourish my soul. The psalmist 
understood this when he said in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. In verse 3, Peter explains the heart of the problem and the road to a solution. When he says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Loving your brothers and sisters isn't about you or them. It is about God. So when we are angry and bitter, when we begin to envy others, when we pass along rumors, when we respond harshly to those who bother us, when we lose our temper, when we judge others harshly, when we answer our spouse with harsh, cruel words, when we act like that, it is always because we have forgotten the goodness of God. As um, the psalmist says in Psalm 34 and verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. All the joys of those who trust him. You see, there can be no craving for the word of God without first tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Our experience of God drives our desire for God and the things of God. We got a taste of God's goodness when we first came to Christ. Do you remember that, what that felt like? Do you remember how beautiful or wonderful it was to have the load of sin lifted off your shoulders? Some of us have forgotten. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 10 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org and tune in every Saturday morning at 10.30 for another inspiring message of hope and faith.